Right, this is something that should have probably been done a little while ago, but in the style of Gordon Strachan's team in 2017, this is a bit of a last-minute attempt. I wrote a book earlier this year. Most of you must be familiar with that by now, on Scotland's last journey to the Euros, called A Nation Again, and I've recorded a chapter of it in audio form because I thought it might be a little taster if you're looking for a Christmas idea for yourself or a gift for someone else before Monday. And Amazon can deliver pretty quickly, so with five days to go, this might not be too late. But on top of that, it's not just one chapter I've recorded. I really wish this had crossed my mind earlier, but I realised I had all these recordings of the players actually talking about the journey to the Euros. So John McGinn, Christy, Marshall, Stephen O'Donnell, Lyndon Dykes, loads. So I spent a lot of the summer recording the A Nation Again audiobook. The editing process has been a bit painstaking as the start of this season has been the busiest I've ever been with work. And there are still a few chapters to go, but at some point in January, the whole book will be completed and I'll put it online. Not on the hand and roar though, I'm going to put a couple of chapters here for people to check out, to give it a go. It might entice you to buy the actual book or maybe for the audiobook when uh, it eventually comes out in a month or so instead. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you give the book a go in any form, I'd be very grateful. And here, just as an example, you have the chapter that looks back on our vital Nations League wins over Albania and Israel that qualified us for the Euro 2020 playoffs. Thanks very much. Enjoy. Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Quick five and tries it down now. Long way out. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Here comes up, Jack's goal! Chapter 8, Just Win The Nations League, which was approached through muddy waters, had become crystal clear for Scotland and fans. Win away to Albania and beat Israel at Hamden three days later, and a playoff spot for Euro 2020 was guaranteed. Scotland's recent record of seizing opportunities afforded to them in this manner wasn't particularly fruitful. Supporters only needed to look back at the previous campaign, which ended with a win against Slovakia and a draw with Slovenia. Before that, they were taken to one of the deepest, darkest places in their memory, Tbilisi, Georgia, during Alex McLeish's first spell as manager, where a 2-0 defeat preceded a heartbreaking 2-1 loss against Italy at Hamden in a game that was approached with the most extreme optimism in spite of an overwhelming underdog tag. Many fans still yearn for Insomnia by Faithless to be Scotland's walk-on song since that occasion, in which Luca Tony scored after a minute. So really, who knows the most effective entrance fanfare? A short ceremonial flourish to introduce something or someone important, says the Oxford Dictionary regarding that term fanfare. Well, despite the pot of gold on offer at the end of this Rainbow Road, there wasn't much of it in the build-up to Scotland's match day three of the Nations League, where they take on Albania in the city of Skodra, about 15 kilometres east of the Montenegrin border. Scotland's urgent need was at centre forward. Stephen Naismith was injured, Lee Griffiths wasn't in the picture, Chris Martin hadn't scored a goal all season and clamour for Jordan Rhodes was a thing of the past. So the options Alex McLeish opted for were Matt Phillips, Ollie McBurney and Johnny Russell. 
and Stephen Fletcher. Stephen Kenneth Fletcher of Sheffield Wednesday was the story of this squad announcement. The 31-year-old played a total of 10 minutes of the previous 17 internationals, some of which he spent on the bench, but most of which he wasn't even called up for. The former Hibs, Burnley and Sunderland striker answered an SOS call from McLeish to spearhead the dark blue again in an attempt to drag the team to six points. Fletcher had 31 caps when McLeish offered him a recall. It wasn't fancy coming back out. It was more, <laughs> you've been picked for the squad. I, he called me beforehand to say, I'm going to name you the squad. And I was like, oh, thank you. Happy days. Coming back in. How's you feeling? I said, I feel really good. Came back in, trained. And obviously, they asked me if I needed different training sessions and stuff because it had changed a lot from when I was in the first time. There was new staff members and stuff. There was sports scientists in that we didn't really have before. So when I came in, they asked. But I, I trained every day and I managed to get through it all. So it was good. Obviously, there's a few people probably didn't want me in the squad, but it was just to prove the fact that I was um, still capable of playing at that level, yeah. Fletcher hadn't been involved for almost 20 consecutive Scotland matches after the striker told then-manager Craig Levine he didn't want to be part of the squad for a Home Nations tournament game, really, a friendly, against Northern Ireland at the start of 2011. Levine later admitted on the Hamden Roar podcast he regretted the way it developed. I should have fixed that earlier than I did, he said. I took umbrage to the fact he said he didn't want to play. I should have gone down and spoken to him instead of listening to other people. I regret not fixing that quicker because you can never have too many good players in your squad. Fletcher spoke publicly in between times to state his desire to play for Scotland again, but Levine was adamant that until the forward lifted the phone to speak to him rather than journalists, then he'd remain in exile. After Levine made the move to kiss and make up in September 2012 before a World Cup qualifier in Cardiff, Fletcher started and had a goal wrongly ruled out for the ball crossing the byline en route to his forehead, which would have made it 2-0 after James Morrison's opener. Gareth Bale scored twice late in the game to nullify that and the Welsh triumphed. And that was Levine's penultimate game in charge before being replaced by Gordon Strachan. The latter favoured Fletcher in the qualifiers for Euro 2016, during which the striker scored seven goals, albeit six of them, against Gibraltar. But he lost his place in the team for the qualifiers for Russia 2018. Despite his intermittent involvement and recent injuries at club level, McLeish was in no doubt Fletcher would be an asset at a time when Scotland desperately needed a reliable deputy up front, revealing at his squad announcement he'd consider bringing Fletcher back earlier in the group stage. He said, I spoke to him this morning and he was keen to join up. He's in good form and when we saw the call-offs, I had no hesitation. He wants to do Scotland proud and that's the goal over the next couple of weeks. So this is good news for the nation. A player who wasn't in the squad and wouldn't be ever again was James MacArthur. The 31-year-old decided he couldn't carry on with the national team in order to continue playing at the top level in the English Premier League with Crystal Palace. He hadn't been capped under McLeish thus far and requested to be left out of the squad for the end-of-season trip to South America because of a back problem. One of a fair few issues, MacArthur said, contributed to the decision he made with 32 caps to his name. Scotland's assistant manager, James McFadden, said it was a blow for the coaching staff, but they understood he wants to prolong his career as long as he can. MacArthur had played 90 minutes in seven of Palace's 10 Premier League games when he announced he was hanging up his saltire boots, and he didn't miss a single league game throughout the season after signing a new contract for the next three years. A decision justified.
A second Premier League player not involved in the squad was West Ham's Robert Snodgrass, another player who should have been far closer to the 50-cap roll of honour threshold than just over the halfway point, and he'd only played for 37 minutes in one of McLeish's games so far, that Belgian thumping at Hamden. A kneecap injury meant he didn't play a single minute in the Euro 2016 qualifying campaign, and the emergence of the Celtic contingent in the second half of the following qualifiers meant his importance had dwindled, though he did score a hat-trick in a 5-1 win against Malta in the opening game of that group. The winger asked to be left out of the squad after his mother fell ill in the run-up to the doubleheader with Belgium and Albania, but agreed to be included after Phillips suffered an injury. The next month, while grieving from family bereavements, Snodgrass felt reluctant to travel to Israel for the second Nations League match, but agreed to be part of the squad on the basis he'd play. He didn't, after allegedly suffering a knock in training, before withdrawing for the friendly against Portugal a few days later. When Snodgrass was anxious about being involved back in August, before he agreed to replace Phillips, McLeish told the press, I think you understand when there are personal reasons. They have to be absolutely 100% wanting to play and be ready to play for Scotland. We need that, but Snoddy isn't far away. He's left the door open as well. Despite no seeming fallout quite rightly ensuing from Snodgrass's decision to put his family and personal well-being first, McLeish did warn at the time, if we're doing well, you might not get back in the team. Well, he didn't. Not for these encounters with Albania and Israel, or for McLeish's following games in charge. Almost a year after these matches, Snodgrass spoke publicly about the toing and froing, revealing a lot of the stuff that happened in the past with Scotland was mentally scarring. Certain things, and the way I was treated, were incredible. It really hurt me when there was this perception that I didn't want to go and play for Scotland. I was fuming, absolutely gutted. Those were the emotions running through me. And people have questioned my commitment to Scotland, but it's actually the opposite. My problem is I can never say no. When I had other things to deal with in my personal life, people were telling me to come and play for my country, so I'd go along, but then not play. I'd prefer people just to be honest with me and see whether they really want me there or just as backup. Just give me the truth, not lies. Squad withdrawals are nothing new in international football. Rarely does a manager reach match day minus one with the same two dozen or so called up the previous week and having to deal with two, three or even four call-offs for various and incredibly frustrating reasons is just part of the job description as an international manager. Nine players taking themselves out the equation. That's almost uncharted territory for a Scotland manager. John McGinn, Keaton Tierney, Mikey Devlin, Craig Gordon, Charlie Mulgrew, Kevin McDonald and Stephen O'Donnell all pulled out due to injuries before the Albania game, as did Ryan Jack, who wasn't even in the initial gathering. John McLaughlin decided to keep goal for Sunderland in their League One game against Wickham Wanderers. Tierney's injury caused a significant take in the head for McLeish, who decided on a plan to switch the left-back to the right side of a four-man defence and ditch the maligned 3-5-2 formation he deployed in the opening games. Tierney had impressed at centre-back for Scotland during the friendly with Netherlands almost a year previously, but after the Israel game and in the run-up to the squad announcement, the 21-year-old received a call from McLeish in which the boss outlined his concern over the right-back position with Stephen O'Donnell injured. I made a phone call to Cam Tierney and I said to him, look, um, I'm really struggling at right back. I'm going to play you at in the right back position, even though you're a lefty. Because, you know, there was this conundrum all the time about um, playing Andy Robertson and at, at, at left back, left wing back, or left mm-hmm. back, whatever, and playing Kieran and left centre back. And I, I was getting a lot of criticism about that. But I said to Kieran, I don't want to do this to you. I don't want to play a left back in the right side. Um, but I know you've done it before for Gordon. Uh, he did it in a Lithuania game. 
Well, I watched the games and, and I, I said, God, he's, he's actually done well, you know, in the game where we beat Lithuania, Gordon, 3-0, I think it was. Andy Robertson got a goal, um, a smashing goal. But Tierney was excellent, you know, he was underlapping again and overlapping, um, but doing it from the other side. And he said to me, Gaffer, I'll play wherever you want me to and he says I said look if you've got a problem with it, you need to tell me I, you know I don't want to um, disillusion people playing playing for the team he says oh no I, I would play anywhere for Scotland and he, he agreed to play right back we certainly knew that it was getting flagged up all the time about his, his hip and things and, um, and, and to to lose him after me planning it, you know, then a month in advance, you know, after uh, the, the rotten result in Israel and saying, I really have to change something here, change the dynamic a wee bit. And um, Kieran was up for it. We were all ready. I phoned Andy Robertson. I says, Andy, listen, I'm going to go back to a back four and Kieran's going to play right back. And Andy said, great, you know, whatever you want to do, Gaffer, we're behind it. You know, so... Kieran, Kieran was up for it. Andy, when I phoned Andy in advance, he says, great, look forward to it. Let's go and win them. And, and then, uh, <laughs> you know, the week before, the the um, big Graham Jones, big Jonesy, the sports science guy, said, um, Tierney's not going to make it. So back, back to the drawing board. If Tierney was originally intended to be a superhuman square peg in the round hole, the next one in the pecking order was more of an oval fit. Callum Patterson played more than 150 games for Hearts after breaking into the first team, the vast majority of them on the right side of a four-man defence. But he was always a goal threat and managed to score 39 times for the club. After signing for Cardiff, the powerful, mustachioed figure was shunted forwards after manager Neil Warnock said, I knew he'd score six or seven goals from fullback, but what I didn't know is that he can't defend. We need more goals from midfield, so I put him there. Patterson ended the 2017-18 season with 10 of them in Cardiff's Young Player of the Year award as the Bluebirds were promoted to the Premier League. He was subsequently pushed up front and it was there McLeese envisaged them having a potential impact for Scotland while alluding to the safety net he might provide with words like versatility and options. That parachute was deployed after Tierney's withdrawal. We went with Big Callum because Callum had uh, experience as a right-back with Hearts, although he latterly been been moved to number 10 with Cardiff. And so, because we, we, we were trying to use Callum in, in the advanced positions, because he, he was doing well with Cardiff. And we, we thought, right, well, the guy's used to playing there now, and, it, and it's going to be a bit of a negative for him to go back to the defence and expect him to do what he used to do at Hearts. He was replacing Stephen O'Donnell, who remembers the anguish at being told a hamstring injury meant he couldn't join up with the squad. I pulled my hamstring in training for Kelly. It was on the Thursday. We were playing Hearts on the on the Saturday. Got a scan and quite again as soon as I done that, I played a pass and normally you do something your hamstring running. I played a pass and kind of got a shooting pain and I went, oh fuck. Um, at the time we've been doing really well and, and I've been playing well again. You get injured at club level, you could find yourself out of the team for a while. International football is even worse, and um, and, I, and I and I feared the worst that that was that was my international stuff done. Um, and such a like if I played my way out of it, I'd have been, I'd have slept easier at night because it was in my hands and, and I I didn't do well enough. But for it to go the way it did was um was was a thought but I was panicking. I was I'd been bitterly disappointed, and um and I remember going down to Tyne Castle. 
Um, I think we won one. I think that was Ross Mullen scored one one nil. I think, and um, I remember that night I was, I was in tears just because I was begging Steve Clark to let me like try it, like give me let, let me go. And he says if you pull your hamstring, you're out for a month, and that yeah, it's no we're no line of ham because the way it was, it was like it was a week. I was like out for a week, and that week took me through half. Or I was like two weeks, but I felt I could have got back in a week and and pushed for the the second game at least. And then I just I just get pulled out, and I just I was man, I was pretty much I was in tears. And at the time, my my, my wife's friends were we hadn't long moved into our house, and my wife's friends were coming round for a for a meal, and I came home for the game, and I just went up the stairs. I went care I'll speak to you in a bit. I was fucking to sit upstairs for about half an hour just head loss Despite the nine call-offs McLeish was able to field an impressive although fairly inexperienced team Hamburg defender David Bates was given a debut The 11 read McGregor Patterson Bates McKenna Robertson Forrest Armstrong McGregor Christie Fraser Fletcher A blistering and unusually enjoyable performance led to a 4-0 win in Skoda thanks to goals from Fraser, Fletcher and Forrest who in cap number 25 scored his first and second goals for his country after several years of underperforming. The 2000 Scotland fans who travelled via Rome, Vienna, Munich, Athens and Timbuktu were treated to a show. After an intense start from Albania, nerves among the support were settled in the 15th minute when Fraser beautifully curled home a low shot from the left edge of the box to score his first Scotland goal, which shortly preceded Albania's Mergim Mavraj's red card for a headbutt on Christie, who was trusted from the start after finding form at Celtic. He'd sealed a recent Scottish League Cup semi-final against Hearts with the second and third goals in a 3-0 win and followed that match-winning performance up with goals in 5-0 wins over Dundee and the Jam Tarts again. He had gone from 0 to 60 over a three-game spell. Yeah, yeah, I timed that, I timed that well. The international break coming up, but um, yeah, it was good. The, the um, Albania game was, was good. I think we played really well and that was my kind of first um, taste of playing um, with the national team and winning and you know like dominating a game and, and playing really well and getting that buzz afterwards which was just you know a feeling that I was just wanting more and more kind of thing so um, you know I just remember kind of being absolutely buzzing after that and obviously when you get that feeling it's you know it's addictive you just want to do that more for your country Christie was superb on the night assisting Fraser's goal Forrest's first and providing the pre-assist for his second Scotland were home and dry in first half injury time when Fletcher placed a penalty into the corner before a fire took hold within Forrest during the second half. He showed composure to beat goalkeeper Etrit Berisha in a one-on-one to mark his first international goal, but his second was engulfed in majesty and emphasised the confidence and belief he was playing with in an all-conquering Celtic team, dinking the ball over a lunging defender and volleying it into the net. The attacking trio of Christie, Forrest and Fraser were too hot for the Albanians to handle and together with Fletcher... Making his first start in more than two years, they ran their hosts ragged, showing the fans a glimpse at what the team could look like under McLeish over the next couple of seasons if the attacking players clicked. Energetic, confident, skillful, and clinical. Yeah, it was a, it was a great start. We, we started well. I think they had a man sent off pretty early, didn't they? The, the, the one, one of the other Scotland games it was um, really satisfying, and, and it was you know there was goals in it as well. It was the three one game against Ukraine. McCulloch's free kick right from the training ground yeah. and uh, we had a, a brilliant cameo role with Faddy when he came on and, and he, as I'm sure I said to him before that game, you know, 
over a couple of years says, come on, you'll, you'll play a part in this. It can change like that, you know, and he's, you know, he's, got, the face, he's got the face on, you know, and he uh, says, you'll definitely come on and play a part. And he comes on and he does that, you know. The Georgian demon still lurks at the back of James McFadden's mind and rears its head from time to time. Albania isn't close enough to it to remark that they're in the same corner of Europe, but they're in the same metaphorical bracket of awkward away trips. In the early stages of the game, that demon began cackling as McFadden sat in the dugout, briefly wondering if an Albanian would haunt his future. We'd kind of gone with it back five, back three, back five, and we knew we were going to change it because we felt the strengths were in Fraser, Forrest, getting, you know, getting beyond the Fletcher, the legs of Christie in midfield, um, trying to utilise the, the players as best we could. Um, and Albania, we just got off to a flyer. We got off to a flyer. Um, I'm sure about five minutes in, they should have had a guy sent off as well. We Ryan Fraser went through, I think he him up the left and he ran, and I think he took him out. Ryan Fraser was in and goal, so he should have been sent off. And, and I'm I'm sitting there. I've been when we played Georgia away, and we lost the game that, that ultimately cost us. I get I get brought down the first half. It was a stone wall penalty. We never got it, and I thought, oh my god, no, no this again. But thankfully, yeah. the, the players were were excellent. Again, Ryan Fraser, James Forrest, Stephen Fletcher led the line. Brilliant, a, a brilliant performance. After a comfortable victory, it was easy to forget how much pressure McLeish and his players were dealing with heading into the game. Up against two amateur teams, defeat would have seen their chances of finishing top of the group dwindle significantly ahead of the upcoming game against Israel, and knives, already out, would have been sharpened. Remember, Albania beat Israel in their opening match. McLeish's talented but mostly inexperienced team, for example, Christie had three caps, Armstrong nine, McGregor seven, McKenna six, David Bates zero, Ryan Fraser only four. Well, they exceeded some expectations and perhaps not quite a wind, but a breeze of confidence rippled through the camp. Forrest and Fraser flourished on the wing after McLeish opted to send them into battle further up the park. It gives an injection of confidence and belief to the squad, said the manager, reserving special praise for the pair. Ryan has been playing at a high level with Bournemouth since the start of the season, but we haven't managed to get him into the team for the qualification games. Well, we got him in tonight, and you saw what he's been doing all season. And the same goes for James. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injuries to centre-backs afforded David Bates, who'd recently completed a surprising move to second Bundesliga side Hamburg from Rangers, his international bow. Alongside McKenna, he was fairly untroubled and well context was needed for the host's cutting edge in attack. His addition, performance and club trajectory was reassuring at a time when fans had their binoculars out to spot the next generation of centre-halves that Scotland couldn't just call but rely on. Forrest admitted he was buzzing with his first goals in front of the Tartan Army, asserting he always believed in his ability to produce for Scotland and he'd aim to take that confidence into the Israel game. Well, let's put a pin in that for the time being. Before the Albania match, McLeish stated that one of his USPs is the ability to bounce back from disappointments. You may know it better as bounce-back ability, the phenomenon that spread through the footy vernacular in the mid-2000s thanks to Tim Lovejoy and Helen Chamberlain on Soccer AM. 
There were plenty of springs in the Skodran trampoline and it was now about bouncing higher against the Israelis at Hamden. Momentum, confidence, consistency, belief, spirit, all the hits were trotted out. Adding to that, McLeish did the tabloid's job for them, admitting his team wanted revenge in the winner-takes-all clash. The sides were tied on six points and the victor was guaranteed a playoff for Euro 2020. In a monologue remarkably not taken from a Robbie Burns poem but a Scotland manager's press conference, the words hell hath no fury like a Scotsman scorned were uttered by the boss, surmising the torrent of adversity had brought out the best in his players two days prior. This was an opportunity of timeless proportions for McLeish. His appointment had split fans, with the skills of public opinion tipping considerably more to the edge of pessimism than optimism. But here he stood on the brink of taking Scotland to their first major tournament playoff since 2004, and the prospect was an even more tantalising one, with it intertwined in his own tale of redemption, given how close he came to taking Scotland to Euro 2008. Criticism of his time in charge so far is a matter of opinion. That's just football. But the often personal, vitriolic nature of it went beyond squad selections, team performances and results. As Darrell Broadfoot, the former head of communications at the SFA, outlined on BBC Scotland's Sports Sound podcast, McLeish had committed three crimes that, in the eyes of some Scottish football fans, meant he was always awaiting judgment from a poisoned jury, some of whom would never be able to forgive him for walking out on his country to test himself in the Premier League and earn a far higher salary as manager of Birmingham City. Or being a recipient of an employee benefit trust while manager of Rangers in the early 2000s, or even aligning himself with the Better Together campaign in the run-up to 2014 Scottish independence referendum. Swelled by the echo chambers of social media in the divided country Scotland and indeed the UK has become, thirst for attention and twisted perceptions mean feelings often surpass truth, and at least two of those wrongdoings he was guilty of are irreparable. Some pride swallowed in order to credit him would have gone down like a cup of cold sick and been painstakingly pre-empted with I know he, example A, B or C, but fair play to McLeish for blah blah blah. Now McLeish's bones are made of generosity and humility. Born in Glasgow's East End and raised in the neighbouring town of Barhead, he cuts the exterior of a friendly neighbourhood grandfather but still carries an aura commanding instant respect. One of Aberdeen's greatest players of all time, who won the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1983, the dismissals of his man management and tactical awareness from keyboard warriors who'd read a few paragraphs on XG and think anyone over the age of 50 can be fossilised in a footballing sense were often cruel and as often happens with revisionism, ignored context. McLeish lost, then won his first two games in charge, against opposition of better, then similar quality. He took a sea squad to South America to warm up two countries flying towards the Russian World Cup, saw his team swept aside by two of the best teams on the continent at a half-empty Hamden Park, and to his genuine discredit, watched on as Scotland were well beaten by Israel. That was a bullet that narrowly missed an artery. As McLeish tried to blend old and new to rebuild the national team, mitigating factors have to be recognised. Experienced strikers retired or made themselves unavailable. The star striker wanted time off and centre-half options were still wearing Velcro shoes. It was unanimously agreed among the Scotland support the Israel game was a scar on the face of McLeish's team after a few bruises from the South Americans, Belgians and Portuguese. But fans went through the turnstiles expecting a beating on those latter occasions. The game in Haifa was the only real anomaly since McLeish returned. The form guide wasn't pretty, but the bottom line was that two wins over Albania had taken Scotland to the cusp of territory they hadn't set foot in for a long time. Hypothetically, swapping those six points for friendly victories against powerhouses, although appetising, would have done nothing but frame McLeish's and this Scotland side's bigger picture. 
Back in 2007, he was one win away from incredibly taking Scotland to the Euro 2008 finals. And now he was one win away from taking them to the playoffs. But his task was considerably easier this time. He hadn't needed to beat France away or Ukraine at home to get to this point in proceedings. His boys wouldn't need to overcome an Italian 11 featuring Gianluigi Buffon, Fabio Cannavaro, Andrea Pirlo and Luca Toni, the reigning world champions, to get there. This was Israel at Hamden, those little upstarts that had left Scotland in a daze a month ago. A team that behaved like Neverland's lost boys, complete pests, but clever and menacing when in their zone. Hamden's visiting party needed a draw to clinch first place in the group and guarantee a playoff. The two teams had approached the game on six points each, but Israel's head-to-head record would have eclipsed Scotland's after their win in October. It was a simple instruction McLeish gave his squad ahead of the game. The thing was that we emphasised was, was just, we've just got to win. We, we kind of knew when we went to Albania, it was two games we had to win. And uh, having beaten Albania comfortably with a good performance, we come back with so much confidence. And you, and you know what they say, confidence is everything. And we almost, for years, say that we wish we could bottle it up. But getting that top result in Albania just set us up nicely for the Israel game. And we, we didn't feel we, we, well, I'm not saying we didn't feel we could lose that. We felt we would win it. That was that was the, the real feeling coming back from Albania. We, we we felt that we had one foot in the the next stage of this process. I would say that the confidence from that game took us to hand, and we 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 spoke about uh, you know ex- really expressing ourselves and going to win, not not trying to be cagey, but we needed the Ryan Christie's to be running off Fletcher. We needed Armstrong to be running off him. Um, and you know everything worked to a T you know that night and it didn't feel as if it was the same level as the Italy game um, I, I would only say that probably due to the, the the feeling that I thought we would win uh, well I'm not saying we didn't think we could win the Italy game but I was certain we could we, we would beat Israel I was certain we would beat them Some players initially understood the intricacies of the Nations League and the treasures it held more than others, but with one game of its group stage to play and with Scotland edging towards a semi-final, X marked the spot for everyone, no matter how their mind map was rooted. Ryan Christie knew the answer, but got no extra marks for his working. For me especially, I still didn't even fucking know how the thing worked. So I was like, I remember going into that and saying like, oh, if we win this, we top the group. And I was kind of thinking, right, so does that put us in to a new group to then qualify for the playoffs or I couldn't get my head around it at all at the time. Yeah, I think that maybe kind of helped certainly me individually. I don't know about the rest of the boys, but um, I didn't really know where where topping that group actually took us to. So, you know, when you look back now, it was a kind of a very, very important win on the journey to the Euros. A number of the two dozen players might not have wrapped their heads around the entire maze to Euro 2020, perhaps providing some accuracy to the old game at a time adage often utilised by players on the edge of glory or disaster. But the Scotland fans had clear heads as the deciding match loomed. How many of them turned up to roar until they fell off was another matter, but one McLeish felt needed addressing in the wake of his four home games in 2018 so far, which he'd watched unfold from the touchline in front of swathes of empty seats and a crowd of roughly 20,000 every time, less than half of Hamden's 52,000 capacity. 
We're at home, so let's hope there's a response from the Tartan army, said the manager. We'd like the supporters to come to cheer the guys to victory. If we play to that level again, then we have a good chance. We would love to have the fans right behind the players from the very first kick of the ball right through to the end. Nothing matters more was the Scottish FA's catchphrase for the era. On match day morning, their social media team posted a rousing video reminding us of the good times with goals, tackles, limbs and all the juicy stuff montages normally contain. Pride, passion, resilience, togetherness, picking ourselves up when we're knocked down, all appeared one after the other in emboldened, cap-locked yellow font. That's what being Scottish means, we were told. It means Bremner, Dalgleish, Gemmell, Hendry, Law, Leighton, McAllister, McStay... Miller, Sunnis and McFadden. It means Robertson, Armstrong, Christie, Fraser, Forrest and copious other members of the current squad. Nothing matters more. Unfortunately for the SFA and team, something did matter more for a fair few. Money? Maybe. Travel? Potentially. Spite? Not out of the question. Hamden was just more than half full again. The fans who didn't go would regret it. The ones who did can say they were there for one of the most important performances and results in the national team's recent history. Scotland 3, Israel 2. Taking heed of the idiom about broken stuff and fixing it, McLeish started the same 11 as he did in Albania at the weekend. McGregor, Patterson, Bates, McKenna, Robertson, Forrest, Armstrong, McGregor, Christie, Fraser, Fletcher. With McLeish's message of just win reverberating around the changing room, Scotland tripped onto the hallowed Hamden turf and from referee Tobias Welts's first whistle, they galvanised the home support with an attacking, assured display of quality and team spirit, scoring a couple of early goals to put Israel in their place almost immediately and quell their trepidation among the fans, whipping them into a tornado of excitement that showed no signs of dispersing throughout the 90 minutes. Aye, right. Nine minutes. Nine bloody minutes. Berham bloody Kyle. It was a breathtaking goal from the former Celtic midfielder from somewhere between 25 and 30 yards and he struck a powerful and dipping shot that nestled in McGregor's left corner. As Robertson turned away in disgust, as Fraser rested his palms on his hips and as Christie spun around in stunned shock like he'd been slapped in the back of the head, there was the familiar serotonin-sapping feeling of here we go again. Sighs of despondency were slowly released. The good news was Scotland had plenty of time to turn it around. The even better news was, fresh from his double in Albania, Forrest's shooting boots hadn't cooled down. Israeli goalkeeper Ariel Harush hadn't sweated in the 24 minutes since his side took the lead, but in the succeeding one, he was beaten. Stuart Armstrong, the unique driving force in Scotland's midfield, saw his shot inadvertently blocked by Fraser, who was trying to get out the way, but the ball fell awkwardly for Forrest. He brought it down expertly to nullify its spin and with his second touch arrowed the ball across goal and into the bottom corner. Armstrong was the one who'd rolled his sleeves up in midfield to create the leveller, but when Forrest scored again as half-time approached, the goal stemmed from an entirely different approach. Route 1, I believe they call it, in the Mediterranean. Robertson thumped it long from his left-back perch and was looking for Fletcher, who leapt magnificently to flick the ball on for the advancing Christie, who had one Israeli breathing down his neck and another closing him down to his right. Remaining composed, he saw Forrest all alone in the D to his right and lobbed the ball towards him. He's not going to score again, is he? Asked commentator Ian Crocker after the first touch. You better believe he is, Crocker said after the second, as the ball rolled into the bottom corner. The unerring quality Forrest was displaying in front of goal was reminiscent of the form he'd shown for a while at Celtic. He was on his way to grabbing the headlines if he hadn't already, and his icy approach to being presented with both opportunities to score deserved huge credit. 
with the second simply wouldn't have happened without the presence and influence of Stephen Fletcher. But one of the catalysts for that night was Fletch. And when I phoned him and he said he, he would love to come back, and uh, I said, look, Nina Stryker need a guy who knows his way about the penalty box, knows his way about the pitch, a guy like yourself with, with your experience. And right away he said, I'd love to come, you know. So I thought, oh, a result. So Fletcher in the games, as you know, in that Albania game, in the Israel real game, he was tremendous. He was a real focal point for us. We could play in and around him. Um, just because of his nerves, his, his knowledge as a centre-forward, his, his um, ability to disrupt centre-backs and play in other people was just second to none. And, and it was like, you know, I discovered something for the first time, but of course, that you, you just know these guys can do that. A striker not renowned for scoring was unselfishly pulling his weight to allow his fellow attackers to prosper. Francis Olivier Giroud became a meme after the Russian World Cup, with his lack of goals really enticing many of the young, impatient, clickbait generation. Giroud, who had fallen out of favour at Arsenal and moved to Chelsea in the January window, was a surprise choice in Didier Deschamps' squad, picked ahead of former Arsenal teammate Alexandre Lacazette, who'd scored 17 goals that season. Manchester United's Anthony Martial, with 11 goals and 9 assists, and Sevilla's Wissam Ben Yedder, 22 goals and 5 assists, were all left behind. Giroud started France's first game on the bench, but he entered the fray against Australia with the score at 1-1 after 70 minutes. His link-up play with Paul Pogba led to the midfielder's shot on goal, which, with an incredible amount of fortune, ended up in the back of the net via a deflection and a post. Nonetheless, Giroud had made his mark and France were off and running. He would keep his place in the starting 11 for the rest of the tournament, scoring no goals and registering more yellow cards than shots on target in 546 minutes on the field. Yet France almost cruised to their world crown. Giroud, at six foot four and weighing 14 stone, had aerial ability, strength and intelligence, which allowed him to make life easier for their master marksmen Kylian Mbappe and Antoine Griezmann. Drifting from the spearhead area into the middle third of the pitch, he dragged centre halves around like a magnetic force and created vast amounts of space for his diminutive, pacey and lethal teammates to enjoy. See also Scotland's second goal against Israel. It's true that Giroud has scored a plentiful amount of goals for France. At the time of writing, he's netted 48 times and is only three behind Thierry Henry, who leads the nation's all-time scoring list. But in Russia, he contributed in a different way and has a winner's medal to show for it. My zero goals doesn't stop me from sleeping, he said. I had to do a little bit of different work to help the team hold the lead and I had less energy to be decisive in the final third. Statistics can be used for anything and everything, but I was decisive in another way. McLeish had seen the French cook up a storm with their recipe for success and with Griffith's international career hitting the buffers while he took a break from football, the manager told the press, France won the World Cup without their strikers scoring a goal, so we have to look for a dynamic in terms of other players contributing to goals. Well, this was that very dynamism unfolding at a pivotal moment. It started with a simple phone call and Scotland had gone from being torn asunder in Haifa to tearing up Hamden in a blaze of fiery intensity. When, when, you, when you're sitting in the, in the dugout, technical area, whatever you want to call it, you get a feeling about players on the pitch, and you 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 get a you get, you've got a trust about players on the pitch when you when you've got certain players, and 
you know, when Fletcher was out there, I just had a good feeling he, he was bringing something different to the team. The, the, the runners all around him were quick, they were skillful, there was, there was just great um, ingenuity in the, in the team. Uh, Armstrong as well, you know, the, the fullbacks, uh, it really, you know, it just gelled and, and it's hard to explain, you know, if you're not on that, that touchline yourself and you, you know, you've got out there, there's a different feeling about the outcome. Fletcher is modest, though, when recalling his role in the victory. It was obviously nice to, to contribute to getting us to the playoffs and stuff. Yeah, of course. Obviously, um, made my debut at a young age. Um, so it was obviously nice to, to have a, quite a long Scotland career, obviously, there are a few things that happened over my Scotland career that I probably probably need to write a book about you're doing about that. No, it's a uh, I've enjoyed every moment of it. I that that night we had a very attacking team. I felt like especially in behind me, it's it's obviously it's nice to, to have them around about you because they're three attacking players and attacking minded players and they play the ball forward. So it was good for me. My job was to try and uh, help the team and, and score a, score a few goals. Obviously, I managed to get a goal against Albania. I feel like there's more to my game than just scoring. Obviously, I try and link up as well. And I managed to set up a few goals as well, which was, was pleasing. Fletcher was keeping his end of the bargain and Fraser and Christie were excelling. But Forrest had gone the extra mile with his two goals. Despite Scotland looking in fine fettle, shoulders and spines in the stands couldn't be dropped and straightened until the ball hit the Israel net for a third time. In the 64th minute, Forrest did it again, putting a magnificent gloss on a brief but beautiful team move to secure his hat-trick and score Scotland's fifth consecutive goal. Robertson nonchalantly played the ball inside with the outside of his left foot for Fraser, who turned and burst over the 18-yard area's apex to square the ball for Forrest, who, almost identically to his first in Albania, dinked it over the foot of the approaching defender and slotted home to the keeper's left. Scotland had a cushion. The joy etched on the winger's face told a tale of happiness and near disbelief as he hugged Fraser and Christie in front of the East Stand. He wouldn't have known it at the time, but although three hat-tricks had been scored by a Scotland player in preceding seasons, Snodgrass against Malta and Fletcher's two against Gibraltar, this was the first truly meaningful one in 61 years, since Jackie Moody netted thrice in a 4-2 win against Spain in a 1958 qualifier for the World Cup. There's a very strong argument for, and not much against, Forrest's three goals being the most important hat-trick ever scored for Scotland. You know, Forrest, in terms of the Israel night, was just unerring. He's finishing. And the combination, and, and this is, you know, you, you see that night, the Armstrongs, the Brian Christie, you know, all running freely beyond Fletcher. And Fletcher was a great focal point for um, Forrest as well. And you need other players to interact with. Scotland had turned onto the home straight. With 25 minutes remaining, Israel needed to score twice to stop them topping the group and securing a playoff semi-final at Hamden. If anyone's read the script of a Scotland game before, of course they'd score at least once and provide some needless torture for those who wrongly assumed we were inches from the chequered flag with more than 20 to play. Eran Zahavi bagged it with 15 remaining and Israel required one more to top the group. Remember, second place might have been enough to secure a playoff semi-final away from home, but that was no guarantee. And it's only right then, in keeping with the heart rate analogy of being a Scotland fan that sways from failure to bursting, that they relied on veteran 37-year-old keeper Alan McGregor to produce a phenomenal save with two minutes remaining to keep their playoff credentials in their own hands. 
QPR's Tomer Hemed ghosted behind Bates to reach a perfectly weighted pass and in the style of the karate kid, cushioned it towards the top corner with the outside of his right boot and time stood still. McGregor threw his hand in the way and Scotland somehow stayed in front. The build-up was almost a mirror image of Harry Kane's equaliser the previous summer. The diagonal ball seemed to defy gravity and the realisation that an unmarked forward was about to latch onto it brought a horrified gasp from the stands. The recognition of McGregor's save was so appreciative among fans and media, Jonathan Cohen's horrifically skewed rebound effort from six yards was totally lost in the noise. Two guilt-edged opportunities to equalise had come and gone for Israel in the game's dying seconds and Scotland had the veteran to thank. An injured John McGinn was nervously pacing his living room, swearing into the hands clasped over his mouth and nose. I was bricking I can't. I, I can remember watching it in the um, in, in the living room. My girlfriend will tell you I was pacing the. I think that the, the Albania one we started pretty well. That was pretty relaxed. But then we got to the, the Israel at home uh, one, and I'm sure Alan McGregor pulled off a world save uh, late on. Um, and it would have just been typical us at that point. That's that was our mindset, typical Scotland like near miss. But that night the boys dug in well and, and, and deservedly won. So I was buzzing sitting in the house. Obviously got to miss it, but great hat trick by Jamesy and uh, super exit savers. The impact of his instincts in the dying minutes were priceless, but so was the composure of Forrest throughout the game. From scoring no goals in twenty four caps to five and two, his contribution sealed top spot. It was an impressive team performance in attack, but without his finishing, in the words of Still Games' Jack Jarvis, the whole thing would have been knackered. It was a great feeling hearing the fans singing my name, said Forrest. Scoring five goals in two games for your country is unbelievable, and it means something too, because now we've topped the group. This was Forrest's hour, and the clock chimed three times, three brilliant times, to signal the dawn of a new opportunity for this Scotland side. James McFadden was in the team the last time they were this close to a major tournament. We'd, we'd come off the back of that brilliant performance result in Albania. We knew we were at home and we we knew then that we'd obviously knew they were going to be difficult to play against, but the players were probably more aware and more prepared for, for what Israel were going to bring. And it wasn't easy. You know, we go behind, the reaction was brilliant, but then you get to it's 3-2 and you're, you're hanging on and hanging on. Griggs makes a great save at the end and we were delighted because we knew the significance we'd secured a playoff place but again the feeling was well we should have won that group anyway we should have won it but it was still like we're, we're trying to progress here uh, and I felt that we had that and it was, a, it was a brilliant night It wasn't a perfect performance but McLeish labelled it a perfect victory Naismith, Griffiths, Tierney, McGinn, Mulgrew, O'Donnell, Jack and a few more were all unavailable yet Scotland with expectation pressing on shoulders, produced in a situation when they've so often come up short. The players enjoyed the victory after the match. There was a celebratory session without popping corks and flowing champagne, but an ecstatic group of players had delivered for themselves and the country after being written off, according to McLeish. It was hard to disagree. The adversity he mentioned following the game against Israel in Haifa enveloped them. Now they could take a bow and enjoy this victory with Nations League promotion and a playoff semi-final at Hamden secured. This had been the easy part. The playoffs were nearly 18 months away and victory would culminate in a final likely to be against either Norway or Serbia. But now they'd reached base camp. The next stage of their ascent would be on home turf where they'd only lost one of their previous 13 competitive games. 
McLeish lauded his players and spoke of his pride at the way they challenged adversity. The players had reached the light at the end of the tunnel. Their character couldn't be questioned anymore. Sports Social Podcast Network.